welcome to Continental Championship Wrestling, home of the National Wrestling Alliance, featuring champions from throughout the continental United States. And now to your host, world-renowned wrestling commentator, Gordon Soley. How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling, and we've been trying a lot of new things lately, and this episode is another new <coughs> approach we're taking. We're going to start reviewing random episodes of various territories and basically talking a little bit about that territory and maybe what makes that uh, episode special or not special or famous or infamous i guess uh, you never know what we'll tackle but uh i don't know the only name i came up with leonard for this was super reviews taken off of super brawl so like in my head i had the super brawl font and i called it super reviews so it could be a name in progress, but that's the best I got so far. You know, I think we usually wind up with best I got so far. So yeah, that's, that's <laughs> for me. That could be the title of the show. Mm -hmm. um, so this week we are going to be covering an episode of Continental Championship Wrestling. And we're going to start by talking a little bit about what Continental Championship Wrestling is, because many of you out there listening might not know what Continental Championship Wrestling is. Um, so basically it was a promotion based in Knoxville, Tennessee and Dothan, Alabama from 1985 until 1989. It was owned by Ron Fuller. The promotion, uh, kind of evolved out of an NWA affiliate called Southeastern championship wrestling and Gulf coast championship wrestling territories, both owned by Fuller who purchased the Knoxville territory from John Kazana in 1974 and the Alabama, Florida territory in 1977 and Fuller would sell Continental to David Woods in 1988, and it was renamed Continental Wrestling Federation. So there are three eras attached to this promotion. And the first is the Gulf Coast years, which range from 1954 to 1974. In short, Roy Welch purchased the Mobile, Pensacola, and of a Leroy McGurk territory called Tri-State Wrestling. And for a while, this territory didn't even have a name or belts, you know, so they were just kind of doing it. And uh, they concentrated on the Mobile, Pensacola areas and then eventually expanded into Mississippi and Louisiana. Buddy Fuller would run the organization and eventually it would be named the Gulf Coast Championship Wrestling. Now, the ownership had changed hands a couple times. And then we get into the southeastern years, which were from 74 to 85. Ron Fuller purchased it called it Southeastern Championship Wrestling in 74 and would concentrate on uh, the Eastern Tennessee area, but would eventually expand into Alabama and Northern Florida since Gulf Coast Championship Wrestling had folded. Um, and like they kind of had two Southeastern entities like the Eastern Tennessee end and then the Alabama, Florida contingent. So the promotion would not be doing well in part due to financial losses and also because talent would be leaving basically citing the fact that robert fuller was lazy in terms of booking and supposed spent most of his time partying <laughs> so at the end of the 70s fuller would sell off the knoxville end and focus on the birmingham alabama area five years later he would go back to having the uh knoxville end and uh expanded to create continental championship wrestling and that kind of begins the continental years, which I, I mentioned already are from 85 to 89. Uh, so that's a little bit in short, you know, we can go into some of the other details of their 
conclusion a little bit later. But the episode that we are covering um, is from April 23rd, 1988. And this is when David Woods had bought the promotion and uh, the controlling interest in the promotion. And, you know, so right around that era anyway. So they did have a little bit of a TV deal. So Leonard, why don't you talk a little bit about this particular episode and why we are talking about it? Sure. So recently on YouTube, I've just kind of have found a cache of old uh, local programming of different territories, which is probably what we'll pull from again in the future. I'm sure Chad will put up the link so people can go and check out this episode. And Continental Championship Wrestling was a promotion I've always kind of been interested in because I knew nothing about it. It had very little uh, exposure on the national level, either via television or the aftermags at the time. And watching this episode, it reminded me a lot of the WWE parody Southpaw Regional Wrestling from a few years ago. Like this feels like where they drew some of those jokes from. Uh, but this specific episode is from WCBI Television 4, based in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, I believe that the, the program is just called Continental Championship Wrestling. It's hosted yeah. by Gordon Soley and Charlie Platt. And it's known for two major reasons. One is a very uh, infamous angle uh, that I believe is, is called the Can I Talk to Tom angle, which we will be talking in depth about as we go. And the other is very notably this is the first episode of a new booking regime which was comprised of hot stuff eddie gilbert and paul Heyman, who was still working as a manager at this time as paul e dangerously they had both just come in to the territory and this booking regime would last until uh, october of the year when both would leave to go to jim crockett promotions and i think so i believe that this is the first place where paul Heyman ever booked, uh, serving as Eddie's assistant. And you can tell in this episode, there is what I would call maybe an early ECW flavor to it with what they're trying to do with some of, of the angles and, and the storylines here. Uh, sort of but, a little ECW seasoning. Yes, yes. And why I would say that the wrestling on this episode isn't that good. The angle development is really solid and very engaging to say to say the least yeah i think that's one reason why i wanted to talk about this episode because this may not be the best to get your feet wet on continental but it certainly is an episode that i think will keep your attention throughout uh throughout the episode the the episode online i don't remember how long it is exactly but there isn't any commercials there are some bumpers that advertise upcoming shows but there but there aren't commercials my video was about 50 minutes Okay, so that's probably with with the actual ad breaks with the promo. It's it's probably an hour right. show. Yeah, and um, like you know, like you were saying, you know, whether or not this is the best episode, who knows? But I will say, if you're a wrestling fan and you watch this episode, you will come out of this wondering what happens with two of these feuds. I yes. would say at least. So let's, um, as you said, it's hosted by Gordon Soley and Charlie Platt. And obviously, we know who Gordon Soley is. He's a, a legend in the commentating field and was the voice of many different territories for, for a long time. I had never heard of Charlie Platt, and there's probably a reason for that. I believe he is uh, void of charisma in any yes. way. <laughs> he, he is the color man and does interviews and is just 
Color in air quotes. Yes, color in air quotes. He's kind of like uh, on uh, Major League, the guy sitting next to Bob Euchre. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Platt is, is is very much that that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And so they kind of open it up and they start with a recap of Dr. Tom Pritchard cutting the hair of Dirty White Boy. And Leonard, why don't you tell everybody who Dirty White Boy would go on to be? So, so Dirty White Boy, also Tony Anthony, from this point, would work that character in Smoky Mountain Wrestling and be a champion of Smoky Mountain, I believe, a couple times. But maybe best known to WWE fans as T.L. Hopper, the wrestling plumber. Right. So it should be noted that the top feud of Continental at this time was T.L. Hopper versus Zip of the Body Donnas. Wow, that's what a way to put it, though. That's yes. <laughs> that's who Tom Pritchard would become. Pritchard, of course, would go on to Smoky Mountain as well, wrestling as one half of the Heavenly Bodies, first with Stan Lane and then uh, Jiggle Jimmy Del Rey, and and then become Zip of the Body Don is in the WWE. So absolutely, and uh, you know, it should be worth noting that you know uh, Doctor Tom looked good here. I mean, you know, he almost looked like a more you know a more chiseled or physically defined terry gordy with the hair and you know um you know he 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 was pretty built at this point and uh yeah so they they show that clip uh on a previous episode of him cutting the dirty white boy's hair and uh this event would eventually have mystic which is uh, dirty white boy's manager mm -hmm. come out and she's asking for dr tom to come out and speak with her and she visibly has a black eye, which kind of catches Gordon Soley off guard. And I have to say, if like you turn this on and you never knew anything about Continental, it grabs that grabs your attention. It does because that's not something you normally see in wrestling angles. So like when I saw, I, I had no idea what this episode would have. And when I saw that, I was like, oh wow, that's interesting. And so you want to keep watching at that point, wouldn't you agree? Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and again, we're going to get what happens, but I will say that Mystic sells it very well. Oh, she yeah. Comes off is very shaken, very awkward. When Gold, when Gordon is asking her what happened, she looked, She doesn't look at him. She looks down. She looks away. Um, uh, Mystic, of course, would also be known as the Dirty White Girl. I was affiliated with Tony Anthony for a long time. But I would say her acting here is excellent. Yes, she no, I agree. very well. And so uh, uh, Dr. Tom does not come out. Charlie Platt thankfully leaves the screen and tries to go back and get Dr. Tom, but uh, he refuses to come out. So that makes us go to commercial. And I'm going to mention the commercial transition because it is a great song from the Rocky Four soundtrack by Robert Tepper called No Easy Way Out for those who might not know off the top of their head what I'm talking about. It's basically the scene post-Apollo dying. Yes. He gets into his sports car and drives both angry and sad into the uh, night with flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of notable rock songs used for entrances and transitions here, and I guarantee you they didn't have rights to use any of them. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, I was surprised to see the Robert Tepper song because this is so – Rocky Four came out in 85 – this is 88, as we mentioned. So it's we're three years you know, removed from that soundtrack being released. So um, Robert Tepper, I could see probably granting the rights, but who knows? Um, then, yes, as you already mentioned, they have a lot of uh, bumpers with show dates. 
And as they had mentioned the next segment, they mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Robert Fuller would be paying for a promo time because he was previously suspended and his promo, he, you know, he, we see is on Dirty Dutch Mantel. Someone needs to explain to me why there were multiple people called Dirty. Like, I, I think we get the point with one Dirty yeah. person. Like, Dirty White Boy, the way he dresses, that makes sense. Dirty Dutch Mantel, maybe they mean in a different connotation. Maybe he's dirty in the ring. I don't know. He's supposed to be a face. I don't really yeah. know. It's odd to see Man- Dutch Mantel as a face. I'm, u- I'm used to him as, as a heel. Right. Uh, those who don't know, Robert Fuller, uh, I believe, as you alluded to earlier, was Ron Fuller's brother, but yeah. is probably best known as Colonel Robert Parker in WCW. Right. Uh, he was a, a manager here, had a stable called the Stud Stable. A famous and, wrestling family. Yes, and from a famous wrestling family. And from what I can piece together here, uh, Dutch Mantel was a part of the Stud Stable, decided to leave, turned face, and in, in some fashion wound up drumming out Jimmy Golden from the uh, promotion. It was uh, at least kayfabe, but I did not look this up, uh, is, is, is Robert Fuller's cousin. It's, he's mentioned that he drove his cousin out of the promotion. So this is basically just Fuller saying that he's going to get back at Mantel. But the fact that he got suspended and he's paying his own money basically for ad time as any advertiser would. That is some brilliant heel work there. And I'm surprised I, I haven't seen that before. We've seen someone get suspended or thrown out of the building and they buy a ticket and they come back. But but to, to I'm just going to buy ad time to to yell at Dutch Mantel is is great. It's very shrewd. I, I like that. And, you know, I, I've been listening to Arn Anderson's podcast from time to time and you know, knowing him as Colonel Robert Parker, I have not seen like any of his in-ring work. So I would gladly like to check out some of that. And, you know, this promo basically just reminds you of why he became a manager. Like he's very good on the mic. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I haven't seen any of his in-ring stuff either. I believe that this is, you know, earlier than that. I think this is the 70s when he was still wrestling. Uh, but, but yeah, I always like Parker and WCW. And, and this is an excellent promo by him. Yeah. And uh, the next is a match, uh, a squash for sure, with the the Red Devil versus Dirty Dutch Mantel. And uh, Dutch Mantel doesn't even take off his uh, his sweater. He just kind of comes in and makes quick work of the Red Devil and finishes him with a regular elbow drop, which reminded me that this was many a year ago when <laughs> finishes were not nearly given the attention yes. they are now. Uh, I will say I love Dutch's uh, furry white boots. Yes, yes. Those, those were great. I don't know who the Red Devil is. I tried to look it up. It's probably just some jobber of the area that worked in a mask. Yeah. Uh, but yes, a, a squash. And uh, the immediately following that, a guy with by the name of Detroit Demolition. And like while I was watching this, uh, there was like a sound issue there for a second. And I thought that they just said Demolition was coming out. I'm like, what? I was like, what year is like, <laughs> and, but it's no, it's Detroit demolition with, this is just one guy um, who comes out and we're not sure what he's going to do, but he ends up attacking Dutch Mantel. And then uh, somebody comes out dressed in a mask, like a Jason type mask. And it clearly is Robert Fuller um, who's just coming out and they kind of double team him. Uh, many thoughts on that part of the angle. So, so Detroit demolition is Moondog Rex. Uh, also Randall Coley. And he was the original smash of demolition. He That's right. That- yes. He worked that gimmick for two or three episodes, and they just 
didn't think he meshed well with Axe and the fact that people recognized him as Moondog Rex. Right. You know, Axe, of course, had been under a mask as the masked superstar. But people were chaining Rex at him and Moondog at him, so they got rid of him and they brought in Darso. Uh, so he's working the demolition gimmick. He's dressed as I'm guessing he was dressed when he was playing Smash. Um, he probably I'm, thought, well, I already bought this ring gear, so I'm going to use it, damn it. Why not? I'm surprised <laughs> that they got away with this, too. But I assume at this point, probably Vince McMahon wasn't paying a lot of attention to Continental. And this was also before they started really cracking down on gimmicks and names as they yeah. would, you know, in years hence. So I wouldn't even be surprised at some point. This was brought to Vince's attention. He was like, well, you know, pal, we, we cut him. We owe him one. Let him use it. You know, that would surprise me. It would have been called Demoted from Demolition. That, I feel like, would have been a more creative gimmick. Demoted, <laughs> demoted from Demolition. Yes, yes. And then, uh, of course, as mentioned, Robert Fuller was playing the character of Lord Humongous, that being a playoff of a character from Mad Max. Several people had played Lord Humongous, and we're going to see the real Lord Humongous at the very end of the episode. But I believe at this time period, it was being played by Sid Udy. Yeah, I want to say it's from either 85 to 87 or 86 to 88 that he was something like that. So, like, yeah, he, so he, he had was, it for a good run there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, again, another very smart play by Fuller, who comes in dressed as someone who is affiliated with Detroit Demolition, who is a mask who you couldn't tell. And I love how Gordon Soley kind of slowly pieces it together. Well, right. that doesn't look like Lord Humongous. He's almost as big, but he's not quite as big. Wait a minute, look how he moves. Look at that guy. I know, it's Ron Fuller. So he does, uh, Rob Fuller. So he he does a really great job of selling it and setting it up. And again, I thought this was a, a clever angle as, yeah. as well. We've seen the guy dress up as another wrestler, particularly a mass wrestler before, but this is before that was common. I'm sure this isn't the first time that that happened, but, right. th but this is still, at this point, I would say kind of, kind of a unique angle. Right. Um, the next segment, we get uh, a promo with Nightmare Danny Davis uh, and Gordon Soley, who's Danny Davis is commenting on an upcoming match with the DI. And uh, Leonard, I believe, is this the same Nightmare Danny Davis that would go on to uh, have OVW? Yes, yes. Uh, this is a different Danny Davis than the WWF referee. This is the guy that would be part of OVW when Jim Cornette was there, and then I believe would still run it somewhat after. So this is Nightmare Danny Davis. He was in a tag team called the Nightmares. This is not too long after he split from his partner. And the DI he's referring to is a guy named Bob Carter, who's playing a character called the Drill Instructor. And we'll see him later on. Right. And... Um... Yeah, so this is just your uh, your basic promo here. Yeah, just one thing that should be noted throughout this entire episode, because you don't see this anymore, they're hyping the house shows. Uh, the big show that's coming up at the end of the month, like all the promos are about comes. You see, I don't believe Davis was feuding particularly with the DI at the time, but the DI was his match, so that's who he was promoing against. And you don't right. see it anymore because they don't hype the house circuit. Anymore. Right. TV is to help promote the pay-per-view and you get some of that, but you don't get these types of very driven, you know, come see me in Dothan, come see me in Tuscaloosa, whatever. You don't get those types of promos anymore. No, yeah, you don't. Um, uh, definitely uh, kind of a lost, lost art. Mm -hmm. um, 
we next have a promo from the wild eyed Southern boys. And the only comment I have here is, you know, despite the fact that these guys are decent in the ring, they are really not good on the mic. <laughs> no, that's why they didn't really talk a lot when they got to WCW. Of course, they would later become the young pistols and they're comprised of Steve Armstrong and Tracy's fathers. Right. Um, after this, we have, uh, an interview with Bill Kazmaier, who that caught me off guard. Like I knew Bill Kazmaier had gotten into the pro wrestling business for a hiccup. I did not expect to see him here. I spent many a late night watching the strongman competitions with him in them. And um, here they're referring to uh, an angle where he got his arm busted up and he's standing next to Tom Owens of the King's Ranch. I did not know who Tom Owens was before this. Uh, clearly, he's built really, really well. Yes. So, Leonard, do you know um, anything about Bill Kazmaier's time here? I remember him being in WCW, but not here. Yeah, yeah, he floated around. I believe he's also in WWE for a cup of coffee. I think he just floated around to a few different promotions. It was something he looked amazing. He yeah. sucked the thing. So, I think he was one of those guys you brought in, you got a program out of him, and then you sent him on his way. So, I'm, right. I'm not sure of the entire... Uh, gimmick here, the angle here with him and the broken arm, uh, but but that was something that you know they didn't really come back to it. That that seemed like a maybe a a D, a D level angle. At, at yeah, the time. because he like you said, not being good in the ring. Like and he clearly is not comfortable on the mic either. Like he's yeah. just kind of answering straightforward. Like this is a strongman competition, which it's not. So. No, no, no. no. So he, it is so awkward. I think Kazmaier is, and I don't know. He may have, but most of the times when you saw him, he was by himself and working as a face. I think if you made him a heel and gave him a manager, like if you just made him say for here, like like Rob Parker's muscle. Like if he was Rob Robert Robert Fuller, I keep interchanging Fuller and Parker. But if he's just like Rob Fuller's muscle and just stands there with his arms crossed and it's quiet while he almost like an early version of Mark Henry, they could have done like you know yeah. Mark Henry didn't need a manager necessarily, but like you know if they had given him somebody to talk for him and kind of treated it like Mark Henry's you know House of Pain thing was or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, just a serious dude that's gonna beat you up. I think that would have Casmeyer over, and I'm surprised. That at least from the notable times I've seen him, he he's not worked heel and, and has not worked with a manager. Right. Um, so the next is the big angle of the show, mm -hmm. and that has Mystic coming out and again requesting to speak with Dr. Tom Pritchard, and Gordon Soley decides, okay, I'm going to put the mic down as awkwardly as I possibly can and get untangled from his wires and he's going to go back to the uh locker room and find dr tom and that leaves charlie platt to do something while gordon Soley is just basically going to the back and like yeah as they call it in the business vamping yeah. basically you've got nothing written you've got nothing planned you got nothing figured out it's just um trying to fill time yeah and so thankfully they don't it, this doesn't last very long dr tom comes out you can you know exactly what when he's going to come out because the crowd erupts mm -hmm. um and so he talks to mystic for a little bit basically they kind of you know jabber back and forth and you know she's trying to work him so that his back is turned and this brings out the dirty white boy who hits him with a chair and leonard i'll let you take the rest of this because it was your recommendation, Al. Okay. Well, first of all, let me say, I like the interaction here between Mystic and Tom Pritchard. 
Uh, Pritchard here is, I think, doing a very good realistic job. He is acting without breaking kayfabe. He is setting up, hey, we've known each other for years. We've worked together. I told you to get away from him. You right. know, I can't fight your battle for you. This is the decision we've got, you've got to make. Right. And considering that this is, in essence, a domestic abuse angle and how no one would touch this today. Nope. I think the way it's handled with, with the advice that Tom is giving her is actually fairly well done, at least for the time period. You right. know, not trying to be a knight on a white horse for her, but he's trying to put her in the right direction, actually believing that something had happened. So Dirty White Boy comes in, hits Perchard with a chair, destroys the set, upends the desk, pushes over the back wall that has the logo on it. So you see that they're basically on a raised platform and there's like a, a area with, with vans and a parking area behind them. Yeah. Um, he, he beats uh, Pritchard all around the set. He handcuffs him with his arms behind his back. He then takes out a noose, puts the noose around his neck, and it should be mentioned, Mystic is kicking him. She's definitely with the dirty white boy on this. They drag him through the crowd, and here's a problem. Cops are there keeping the fans away. Why are the cops not stopping an assault? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so they drag Pritchard through the crowd to the ring, and they hang him. They hang him from over the ropes to the ring until several wrestlers come out from the back, most prominently Nightmare Danny Davis, to save Pritchard and to chase the heels away. And Pritchard is, is foaming at the mouth and is, is looking like he's being choked out, like he's being being hung. Put on a great performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, great performances by everybody uh, from here. Sully and Platt are, are beside themselves. Um, so everything just kind of falls apart and goes crazy uh, until they fade to break. Right. And uh, yeah, so I, I really, I really liked this. And what I liked about it was then for the rest of the show, you would have other talent talking about what happened. Yes. How kind of shocked they were. And so, like, not just the commentators, but the commentators and other talent were, were commenting on it, which I thought was was really well. Um, now, if memory serves, Leonard, Dirty White Boy has a Confederate bandana on. Is that correct? Um, I believe that is correct, and that was something that was part of his his outfit, I think. Right. Correct. So that that obviously wouldn't have aged well either. Not that the domestic abuse angle would be. Yes, and the fact that he was lynching somebody. <laughs> and, and, and I, I believe it might have been Tracy Smothers, but one I think one of the Southern boys mentions, I don't think he uses the word lynching, but hang them like they used to or something, I yeah. believe, yeah. is that effect that he uses. Um, so, yeah, and, and I like that part of it, that this is something that everyone else refers to, even if they're talking about their own match or their own deal that they call back to this. So I think that is definitely uh, places an importance on this because if, if they didn't mention it, I think it would feel weird. Right. And I'll say this, my, my initial reaction, like when he attacks him and he, the sets destroyed and the handcuffing, I was, I was like, Oh wow, this isn't shit. You know, but then when the news comes out, I was like, Oh, well, damn, they're going for it. 
here. Like, <laughs> like they're going for another level here. And then like he drags Dr. Tom around the arena. And like, you could see Pritchard like doing his best to crawl along. Yes. Like, you know, and like I said earlier about putting on a performance, this couldn't have been very comfortable. <laughs> no, again, he was, he was handcuffed. He was noosed. And they drag him like to the edge of the stage that they're on. It's a concrete stage, right? Off onto a, co a concrete floor, through the back end of the crowd, over the ring wall, um, or the green guardrail. I believe it's more of a guardrail. Then, you know, to the bottom of the ring, throw the rope over, and then hang him. Yeah, and it, it's quite complex. Some people might call it a, a hat on a hat. I mean. You jump them with the chair, you destroy the set, you handcuff them, you hang them. I mean, that's that's overkill. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot, especially considering he just got his hair cut. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in any event, uh, very good angle. Um, after this, they would go to in-ring action again. You would have the Grappler and Mark Young versus Nightmare Danny Davis and Wildcat Wendell Cooley which is, uh, what a name that is, right, Leonard? Right, yes. Uh, Mark Young would be a jobber in a few different promotions, including WWF, and uh, shortly after this, he would go on to play Private Pile. He would change his name to Private Mark Pile and be part of the DI's uh, stable, being a play off of, of Gomer Pile. I like it. Um, I don't believe the grappler here is Lynn Ditton, who was no. most famous uh, for, for that. I don't think, I think it's just a dude in a mask. Yeah. Um, and it should be mentioned, Soli and Platt talk mainly about the Pritchard dirty white boy angle throughout right. most of this bout. Um, it's an okay, very brief tag match. Uh, the faces control most of the way. Cooley uh, pins the grappler off of a bulldog. And uh, Soli says this is contested under Australian tag rules. And I'm not sure what that means because this looks like a pretty regular tag match to me. We need to look that up. And, yeah, so uh, Australian tag rules. It, it may just be regular tag rules. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, that would be disappointing. There's got to be yeah. something. Um, so after this match, we would have uh, Gordon Soli. Uh, was it Gordon Soli? I believe it was an interview with Eddie. Yes, Eddie Gilbert. And uh, basically, they are talking about an angle that has already happened where uh, Gilbert burnt uh, Jerry Lawler and Soli is going to go to a tape which shows what exactly happened but lo and behold the tape has disappeared and uh, so Eddie Gilbert was a big part of this promotion's success at the time what, mm -hmm. what, little, what little success they had towards the end here yes was a big part of it so. yeah i love this gilbert is very smarmy and very funny throughout this he slips at one point and calls uh lord humongous robert uh which is funny uh i i love how he how he how gordon Sully says that eddie gilbert what he says what happened that match with jerry lawler and he says jerry lawler caught on fire <laughs> like and Sully's like you threw a fireball at him and he's like I, you know, Eddie Gilbert's just like, like it sounds like Jerry Fuller, Jerry Lawler just combusted in this match <laughs> yeah. with Eddie Gilbert. And it's hilarious. And of course, it's implied that Gilbert stole the tape. My guess is they didn't have the tape. I'm guessing this is from a Memphis right. and they didn't have it in the first place. But a great way to cover for that. A great way to Very clever. That. Yeah, I agree. Um, after this, the dirty white boy would come out with Mystic briefly. And you, I think this is where we would see her wipe away her makeup. Yes, yes. That guy. And basically, Soli kind of ushers them away, being you know disgusted with what they had done. 
Soli's great here. He keeps saying, I don't want to talk to you. And they keep trying to talk. And he's like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. Um, after this, we would have another tag match for the tag team championships, actually. The DI and Detroit Demolition versus the Wild Eyed Southern Boys. Uh, this would have a, this would be a time limit uh, expired uh, bout, which I, I found interesting. You know, um, basically, you know, it certainly did a lot for the DI and Detroit Demolition in this case. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the match was was pretty good. This was a showcase for the Southern Boys, I think, and they're clearly very good in the ring. Yeah, the only thing here is that it, that there's two cuts in the match. One yeah. is to plug, um, that I didn't like. Yeah, it's the same plug for upcoming house shows. And then they cut to interviews with uh, Danny Davis and the Southern Boys, primarily talking about the Pritchard uh, and and white boy angle. Right. But I thought it was very weird that Soli is talking to the Southern Boys and then we cut back to the match. Yeah. So obviously that's a pre-tape, but when did they pre-tape it if supposedly we're live? They clearly didn't take off of the uh, WWF thing of having the interview in the picture in picture yes but yeah uh, so that was really confusing i don't think well done there but yeah the match itself i thought was was pretty good very basic style it was good back and forth between both and and i i just don't think that they wanted to necessarily job out um the di and demolition because they were both upper carters for the promotion at the time right but again, this was the style that you had like squash, 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 and your main event would be two decent names, and it would usually be a DQ, a time limit draw, a count out, something like that, because you didn't want, because uh, you wanted both guys to, to, or both teams, depending, to look strong at the end of it. Yeah, especially considering, you know, coming up, they had their big show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, as Leonard said, they kind of have that awkward cut with the interview. Um, then they return to the tag match, and the episode ends with Downtown Bruno and Lord Humongous basically, you know, giving a pretty, you know, basic promo, I would say, here. Yeah, they, they said that uh, they want a team with the Detroit Demolition go after the Southern Boys. We mentioned how Lord Humongous was Sid, and Downtown Bruno, if you don't know, was Harvey Whippleman. But right. if you've been watching The Young Rock, you know that because Downtown Bruno is a character during uh, season two in the 1987 portion when uh, Rocky Johnson is working in Memphis and friends with Downtown Bruno. Absolutely. And so that, you know, you kind of end, you know, with the, uh, you know, one of the main eventers there. Um, and Lord Humongous looks very good. And obviously it's from, you know, you mentioned from the uh, Mad Max franchise. Yes. Um, so all in all, Leonard, I, I thought that this was entertaining. You know, it was under an hour. It had two good angles. I, I made a point to look at the date of the big show because I'm curious to see if that's out there. I have no idea if it is because. Um, probably a house show they didn't tape or if they did tape it was internally and probably right. And so I wanted to mention that um, the uh, like the this footage is like so the footage from the Gulf Coast era and the Knoxville portion of Southeastern Championship doesn't exist anymore um, unless you turn up like random bits of footage might turn up from uh, time to time. Um, the Dothan portion of Southeastern, along with the majority of the Continental footage, as we were just dis- we we're discussing does exist they're owned by david woods and woods communication at least according to wikipedia mm-hmm. so um you know that footage is out there i'm surprised that you know nobody in 
WWE has gone after that. Um, but uh, who knows? Yeah, it's surprising considering that's one of the few promotions they haven't gone after. And I think there would be some value considering that they own Smoky Mountain and some of the, the Florida stuff that Dusty Rhodes had. I mean, they own some similar footage. Right. So. And so, yeah, I mean, I found this I found this entertaining, Leonard, and uh, I, I I appreciate the recommendation. Any final thoughts from you? Um, you know, again, I've been watching some more of Continental. There's another episode I found from October where Eddie Gilbert and Paul Heyman split. Uh, that was had really good promos from the two of them. Um, if you haven't watched Continental, and especially if you're not used to old school Southern territories, this is going to to surprise you. Yeah. And as we said, you can definitely get a bit of an old school ECW flavor off of this. I haven't watched anything prior to this, but this definitely feels to me like kind of a gear shift with Eddie and Paul booking now as opposed to what they had before. Um, so, again, I would recommend check it out. Take a watch. Um, I know Chad will put up the link. But, but be prepared. This isn't what you're used to if you mostly have just watched within the past, say, 15, 20 years. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely recommend it. We'll put up the link and uh, definitely let us know what you think about it if you check it out or what you think about Continental in general. Uh, check out our Stupid Question series and our random match reviews that are on the way. Um, and check us out on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Uh, for Leonard, my name is Chad. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next time. And Alexa, we'll see you out.